This podcast is a podcast radio original. I welcome to the stage two from Evergreen. It's a bit funny. My name's Jared, and this is the posh version of my name. It's Gerardo from Evergreen. <laughs> and we've got another posh name, a, th- a triple name, David Allen Moss. So thank you very much, guys. The stage is yours. I'm very proud to be here. I want to just thank Jerry and Paul uh, from Podcast Radio for having us today. And also, I just think uh, a, a quick round of applause for that last presentation uh, from New Voodoo, because all that data is so fantastic. Can we give them a round of applause? So my job at Evergreen, I'm the chief creative officer, which just means I'm responsible for building a lot of brands and overseeing how the company presents itself through brand marketing and creative services on every level across four different networks, across a growing catalog of nearly 200 shows that we've grown over the last four years. So it's a really exciting role for me. And then, but to have Gerardo here to talk about what it means to uh, be an independent network and also what it means to um, attract and grow networks and the different kinds of networks is really an honor and a pleasure because if it wasn't for this guy, we might not be here talking about uh, this subject. So what I like, just going back really quickly again to those stats we just saw, is thinking about the brand. It's not really what you say it is. Those clips of all the users, it's just fantastic reminder that a network, which is also a brand, is not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. And I'm taking that from Marty Neumeyer, the author of The Brand Gap. It's one of the best things. Understanding what your listeners are getting is something we're getting better and better at. So um, I think we should get right into it. We're going to, can you throw me a a bone and, oh, I can advance my own slides. How about that? There we are, Sauce, the hosts. Let's get started. Who here has a podcast, right? And who is thinking of or has a uh, podcast network in the room? I think Gerardo. No, that's a great question. It's really um, podcasts that have come together as a group. And sometimes these things happen organically. Um, That's one of the first things we really wanted to talk about, like how, how, how have networks grown and why have they grown? And a lot of it goes back to what Jerry has been talking about with discoverability. Okay. You know, how do you find good podcasts? And what, what, what happened a lot is in the past, you've seen a lot of these podcasters come together. They might be in a sim- similar genre and they start cross-promoting with one another and then they decide to form a network and then it becomes more formalized and they grow from there. Um, the other thing we've seen is it, what, what happened with our company is Podcast producers, they might be producing podcasts for clients, doing originals, and then they realize that, hey, we've got this cluster of shows, we can build a network around that. And then you have other instances like radio. Um, that's, that's an area where it's obviously audio and a lot of radio stations, big and small, have realized that, hey, with this new podcasting medium, we can leverage all the listeners that we have in the radio space and, and build a podcast network around that. So it's really, it's, it's, it's a growing area. It really helps uh, in the discoverability, cross-promotion. There's strength in numbers, and that's one of the other reasons that you have podcast networks. 
And that's one of the pitches that we make when we're talking to independents about possibly joining. Um, one of the best ways to become discovered as a podcaster is to have exposure on other podcasts, right? And so cross promos are critical. Finding other podcasts in your space that discuss a similar topic and reach a similar audience, if you can cross promote with them, that's a great way to get new listeners. And then as a podcast host, if you can become a guest on other similar podcasts, it's another fantastic way to grow your audience. So networks help facilitate all that, right? So what we do with a lot of our, ne our, our network partners, we're telling them, hey, come on board. We've got these various channels. Let's say you have a history podcast. We have a history channel. We're going to introduce you to others in our network. We're gonna, we have, uh, through the technology, just simple cross promos where everyone cr cuts a promo for their show, and then that's dynamically delivered through the, ver the other podcasts in the network. And then we're always out there networking and meeting others in the industry and looking for opportunities outside of our network uh, for cross promotion as well. So. That's awesome. So, but we're going to back it up because I, I would love to ask Gerardo, um, and there's maybe some folks in the room that are wondering, where do you start? You know, what, what goes into building a network from scratch? And, and really, the bigger question is the why. You know, why do I start a network? Yeah, and a lot of that comes from where you're coming from, right? Are you, do you just have one show and you have other connections within the industry, and then you decide to form a group together and build a network off of that? And then other, another possibility is, like I said, if you're doing production work in the space and you're learning more and more about podcasting and then also how to monetize those podcasts, it's a smart business strategy to leverage all that knowledge across more podcasts. So then you could say, okay, we've got our core business, but now we can build a network around that. And that's really what we did at Evergreen. And then obviously from the, the radio station point of view, again, leveraging those listeners. So in terms of getting started, it's really a couple of key questions. What kind of network do you want to be? And, and what's, what, what value proposition are you offering to independents that could come onto the network? So David mentioned Marla from Asa, and it's a fantastic network. It's all female-based, female hosts, and, and they target female audiences. Hers, she doesn't host the podcast. She it basically is offering them marketing support and then advertising support. We take a, a somewhat different view, which is we, we host all of our podcasts through Megaphone. So when we invite someone to join the network, we're bringing them on, transferring their podcast to our host, and really taking that cost off of their plate. So that's one of the advantages for them of joining. They don't have to worry about the hosting cost. And so part of it is figuring out exact, exactly what you're going to do. And then who are you targeting, right? Are you targeting a specific genre? So is it history? Is it politics? Are you targeting a specific demographic like Marla is, which is the female audience? We have a much broader network, but then we organize everything by channel because you can't just be everything to everybody, right? So um, we break down our shows by channel, and we're somewhat opportunistic in how we do it. If we, if we find a podcast out there that doesn't fit one of our channels, but it's an excellent podcast, we'll bring them onto the network and then use that show as an anchor to build a channel around it. So it's really thinking about what are you going to do, who are you going to target, who's your audience, and then building around that. And that obviously can change over time. But, and then thinking about what's the value proposition 
that you're offering independence to join your network. Because at the end of the day, you've got to be doing something for them. Can, can you give me an example? I know we have some radio folks in the room of how um, starting a network, and we can talk, we can get into the weeds a little bit on, yeah. on branding that network, but if you're a radio uh, content company or a radio broadcasting company. Yeah, I think what we've seen, obviously, is a lot of these radio companies, radio stations, are taking the content they already have and repurposing some of that as podcasts, which makes total sense. But then you want to probably build off of that and really come up with content that is best suited for podcasting, like we talked about, longer form, deeper dives. I mean, radio content's great because sometimes your listeners just want to go back and hear what they missed, but you definitely want to get to the point where you're tailoring content for the podcast audience. We've, you know, we've had discussions uh, with some radio partners. We've seen other radio stations partner with podcast companies. That's where strategic partnership might make a lot of sense because the podcast producers have more insight usually into how, you know, what can work in that space versus radio. Yeah. But the big advantage for radio stations is you've got this, you know, large group of listeners that you can then you know, bring into the podcasting space, and it's a huge advantage. Yeah, you like, refer to it as a fire hose. Well, yeah, for the larger, like the iHearts of the, the world. All the marketing touch points, all the yeah. places you can reach audience and discoverability becomes a, a, a little better. Absolutely, absolutely. I think you're, you kind of magically wandered into the next thing, which was talking about strategic partnerships and how maybe you've got a few examples or just how critical that is to maybe accelerating the growth of a network. If your network, for example, we, we have a friend who had the Horse Radio Network. Um, he's a, one of the members of the Podcast Network Alliance, which is a small trade outfit, a very informal trade association for podcasters that started a couple years ago, um, where we get together and we talk about all the pain of being a small network and growing networks, everything from audience acceleration and all that. But maybe you could talk a little bit about how critical I mean, we're, we're very, we just mentioned our uh, partnership with Podcast Radio. Absolutely. I mean, what does a strategic partnership do for a network of any scale? Yeah, it, it, this, this industry is changing so fast, and you're always trying to do more with less. Yeah. And strategic partnerships can really help you grow your network and provide more value to the independent podcasters in your network. So, for example, we partnered with Podcast Radio. They... It's another discoverability tool for our shows, so things like that are, are great. We've, we, we haven't entered into a formal relationship with other radio stations, but we've had those kinds of conversations. Um, sometimes it's more on the technology side. Sometimes it's more on the marketing side. We've, we, we've, we, it, the great thing about this industry is it's a new industry, and it's very collaborative. Um, there's plenty of room for growth for everybody so we run into other networks all the time and we really don't view them as competitors they're 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 potential partners uh we do a lot of cross promo with other networks so we're learning from them and so yeah it's it's about being out there in the in, in the industry and that's really one of the things that we offer our independent podcasters most of them are so focused on just doing great work they want to tell great stories they want to focus on their content and in some ways, as they become more successful, the challenges become greater because then they see, well, okay, I can monetize this, maybe I can grow it in other ways, but oh my God, I gotta get my next episode out. And one of the, one of the reasons they, they, are, they are happy to join a network is because we can help support them 
and all these other things that they might need to do. Obviously, we support them in sales and things like that, but as we're out there partnering, we're giving them other opportunities so they have someone really in their corner helping them out. Okay, so you're two years in, maybe three years in uh, with your you know, mechanics podcast network. Maybe you've got 50 shows. Maybe you want to branch out to a different genre of the automotive conversation. Um, tell me about this concept of a network within a network. I think you have some good examples there, but it's one of the ways you grow your network. Yeah, that's really one of the challenges. If you, if you start a podcast network, at some point you start realizing, I mean, with, with all the services you want to provide to your podcasters, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's a scalability issue, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we struggle with that. It's always a challenge. You know, we're building up a sales team. We're building up an account management team. We're building out a marketing team. So what we've run into is a lot of smaller niche networks that have built up this great collection of shows. But then they get to the point from a business point of view where they can't really take that next step and service their podcasters without you know, another round of big investment into what they're doing. So what we've done is we've reached out, and this is really like a strategic partnership, but also providing a service to other networks. So we've, we've had uh, a music network, uh, Sound Talent Media, that built up this great uh, network of music shows, and they were, they're, they're music managers. They manage bands, et cetera, and coming out of the pandemic, they really had to decide, are they gonna invest more in that network or are they gonna partner with someone that can help them grow that? So really now, they're a network within our network. We, we handle a lot of the services for them. We service their shows, help grow their shows. Um, and then we've also made strategic investments and things like that with Five Minute News that's building out a network of new shows. Um, Ars Longa, which is a medical network, uh, really net shows geared towards doctors, and those have worked out really well. So yeah, as they grow, this industry is moving so fast, and uh, building a network can be, can be you know, a, a great business opportunity, but you're running into all these issues as you try to scale. And so we're gonna see consolidation in the industry and that's just a natural thing with a young industry as it advances. Yeah, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, because I know you've got some of the engineering mind for this, but we, you, when you're getting into sponsorship and advertising, because that's a big key to, to the continued growth of a network, right? Uh, we've got our CEO back here, he's like, yes, revenues, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that burn rate into you know, a break even at least. Um, talk about how there's this idea of you've got genres, you can build them in, as Evergreen has done into channels, but then this idea that you can break them out into their own freestanding. We, we did do that with Killer. I mean, what's yeah, the advantage I, of that for partners and, and really a sales and marketing strategy? What, what we're seeing in the industry is that um, there's, you're, you're always out there trying to promote a show and sell a specific show. And, and certain advertisers and sponsorship sponsors can be very show specific, but many of them are looking for scale and they're looking for groups of shows, right? And they want to advertise across a channel or across a network, especially when it's very targeted. 
So what we've done is part of our strategy, and this goes back to the whole branding and uh, that you can speak to, but you know, we've got Evergreen as our, our general brand for the entire network, but as we've, with certain channels, we've branded them separately. So for true crime, which we, we got into late, but is growing very rapidly, we created killerpodcast.com. So it's a whole separate website devoted to true crime, paranormal, et cetera. So that's a huge advantage when our sales team is going out to potential sponsors. They can present these shows as a group of shows under an umbrella brand. You can offer a sponsor all sorts of things in terms of stuff on the, you know, yes. placement on the website, placement across multiple shows with individual messages within each show. And then it's, it's more interesting and lucrative to potential partners who come on board and see what we're doing and say, okay, yeah, I can be part of Evergreen, but I can also be part of this sub-brand. And then part of it too is, again, we're somewhat opportunistic there where we see opportunity. We have several motor shows, so we're building a brand around those, sh those shows called Pit Pass Motorsports. Yeah. And so, yeah, these sub-brands, and that's when you come in, in terms of it's job security for me. <laughs> it's the branding element, right? right? right. Because, the, and you can maybe now speak to just how important the branding is and the messaging. No, I think when we started, you know, we were looking at the bigs. We looked at Gimlet, we looked at Wondery, and we looked at NPR. And we looked all around at everything they were doing. And this kind of segues in maybe into the more important uh, underpinning of everything we've talked about, which is the talent and how you, if you're going to have a network, it can't be all made out of, out of offshore talent or talent that's not in-house in any way, shape, or form. I mean, we've struggled coming out of the pandemic, getting our uh, producers and engineers to come back into the house. We have a brand new studio where we converted an old radio station in Cleveland uh, you know, with five studios and a video studio, and it's just state-of-the-art, uh, all Dante-enabled, you know, Cat 6 and Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And I think um, you also have to be okay with the reality that production and creatives want to work where they want to work. But you can't grow any of this. You talked about sales and all that, but, you know, without the right audio producers, the audio engineers and video and film uh, professionals. And, um, and I do think that's a part of it. You know, if, if you aren't planning to build that for your network in-house, you have to have a good partner. And we really started as a production company. We were strictly original podcast content. And then we realized we're never going to pay the bills, so let's get into branded podcasts. Look what Gimlet was doing. Even though they shut that down after they were acquired, the branded podcasts are, do two things really great. They give you all kinds of clout creatively and as a, you know, uh, as a resource. And you can, you can really get into some great projects. We've, we've done a project for StoryWorth, for example, and uh, Chipotle, more of an HR podcast. You get into some bigger and bigger brands. And uh, what it does is it really grooms and accelerates the skill sets of the team you've put together. Yeah, sometimes they're kicking and screaming about doing a, a, what they might think is a lame-ass corporate project, but it's also putting food on the table, right? So um, we got into the branded, and then as we got into partner, all that experience as a network and as a production house, we were able to take into the conversations 
with new partners. And it's just sort of like this, you know, nonlinear um, climb in terms of the caliber of projects the production team can take on, the caliber of projects that the sales group that, you know, we build it all from scratch. Um, and uh, we, I don't think we ever take for granted the fact that we have some um, agile minds and people who aren't too afraid to wear too many hats and they might even schedule a meeting for you and not cry about it. And, yeah, anyway, it's just a wonderful uh, part of the whole magic of, of, of growing a network. I don't know how much time we have out there in the, do we wanna uh, segue into um, some questions? We got before we got we, yeah, let's get to questions. Before that, I, just one last point I wanted to bring up. If, as you're building a network, one of the most important things is just how you curate that content, how you, how you select the shows, how you vet the shows. Um, you really gotta think about what criteria you have in terms of the size of the shows that you wanna bring on. If you bring on too many small shows, that's gonna create a lot of issues from an account management point of view, and they're not ready to be monetized. It's, it's really helpful, obviously, to have those anchor shows within your channel, bigger shows that, that can really help on the cross-promo side, help you grow. Um, but, you know, and then it's really a matter of quality. At the end of the day, as, as you grow these, your network, look, it, it, the beautiful thing about podcasting is there's no barriers to entry and everyone is out there doing this, right? But you're gonna have 10 people picking a topic in their basement and two of them are gonna be absolutely fantastic. Five of them are gonna quit after three weeks or a month, and then the other five are just gonna be really hard to listen to, right? And so you, you really have to put the time in, uh, do the research, uh, use the tools that are out there to see how big they are in terms of listeners and downloads, and then listen to those podcasts and really figure out, is that the quality level that you want representing your network, right? And is that, and, and that's really, going to be the core of your brand at the end of the day. Like David said, it's what your audience thinks of your brand. That's what your brand is. So you've got to put together quality shows. And, you know, from the first presentation, uh, they brought up a great point. And, and um, you know, I'll just give this advice to podcasters. I have to listen to a lot of podcasts, and some are not that great. And the biggest mistake is just the banter at the beginning, okay? Not everyone is Chris Rock, or not everyone is, you know, uh, Prof G or other really talented people who just when they're when they're BSing about their weekend are very entertaining. Most people, if you listen to them talk about their weekend, are pretty boring. Okay, so if you have a podcast that that has an interview with an author or an interview with a newsmaker, and that's what the title of your podcast is, and then someone starts to listen, and for eight minutes you're droning on about your personal life or inside jokes with your co-host, you're, you're going to lose these people, right? And so that's, that's one telltale sign where I'm thinking, gosh, this is not going to work. Now, then I might look at it and say, well, yeah, but they're building an audience, so there's something good there. One of the other things I look for is, you know, we don't have all the answers in terms of what's going to make a good podcast, but part of what we do is learn as we do more and more of this and work with more podcasters, we pick up all kinds of uh, best practices, right? So... The other thing we try to do in the vetting process is we're talking to these hosts and giving them some feedback and how receptive they are to the feedback and wanting to make their show better and better. You know, we want hosts that are dedicated to their craft, that just want to keep getting better. And so that attitude is very important that 
and, and you want these hosts that, that care about what they're doing, that want to build a relationship with their audience. And so that's what we look for, and we think over time that's going to lead to more growth in the podcast and, and really you know, keep reinforcing the brand that we have. I wanted to step off, and then maybe we can have a few questions on what you were saying about um, the vetting and if they're a fit not only for one of your network channels or genres, but maybe one of your sub-brands or your sub-networks like Killer. There's a lot of conversation, and I want you to talk just a little bit about two to three years from now where we're going. You kind of did. Maybe you can wrap it up. But brand suitability is a big one we hear now. So as you get big enough to take on advertisers or work with outside advertising groups like Gumball or DAX or any of these other groups that will sell your inventory on your behalf. Um, now they're talking about suitability and, and just safety. And so it's really important as you build your network that you craft the right collection. You curate was the word yeah. you used. Yeah, and you just have to be going with open eyes on that, right? Because yeah. you may have shows or a channel that's a little bit edgier, and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Because that content, I mean, there's people that want that content. That's one of the beauties of podcasting is you don't have, you know, the big corporate overlord saying, hey, you can't do that. But, but understand that certain types of shows that might be edgier in a certain way are going to be harder to monetize. You have to really think that through in terms of, you know, what's going to work, in terms of downloads, but then ultimately, if you you know you're you're if this is a business, you want to be able to monetize that content. So be very, be very careful in terms of you know how you approach that. Yeah. Good any, stuff. Any questions? Got some. Let's start here. Oh, go ahead. How do you go about you know presenting your sales approach to uh, people that are starting out? How do you differentiate say that between the older model? So when you say people starting out, you mean someone starting a podcast? Yeah, if someone's starting a podcast, <clears throat> that, that could be something where they come to us and want to do a joint production. Like, we do three things. We, we develop our own podcasts, and sometimes those are joint productions. Um, we do branded work, which is work for clients. Then we have the network. Now, if it's someone that's just starting out, chances are we're not going to bring them onto the network. We, we've gotten to the point where as we're growing, we want to see usually a minimum of like 3,000 downloads a month uh, before we bring them onto the network. So, but we, we get approached all the time by people thinking about a podcast or doing something, and we're more than happy to have that conversation with them, understand, you know, talk them through what their idea is, what are their goals with the podcast, what, what is their target audience, you know, what are the audience niches, and try to give them as much feedback we can and say, hey, you know, good luck. These are the things that you might want to think about. And then, obviously, if that show becomes successful, we want them to come back and talk to us, you know, about possibly joining the network. So if it's a more established show, again, what we, what we try to explain to them is the realities of their situation and how we can assist them, right? And so in those instances, let's say they built a show up to 3,000 to 5,000 downloads a month, that's fantastic. Because at that point, you know that you've got something that people want to listen to, which is great. But you're not going to pay all your bills and make enough money off of 5,000 downloads a month. So what we tell, we, we, one of the other keys is don't, as a network, we don't overpromise to the partners that we bring on. We, we, you know, there's some 
out there that might overpromise, and we try to be very upfront and say, okay, at that level, what you want to do now is you've got a formula that works, so you want to try to turbocharge that to, to get up to 20,000, 30,000. And the best way to do that, or one way to do that, is to join a network, do more cross promos, refine what you're doing. And so we say to them, look, the ad spaces in your, in your show, are the, you'll, you'll, it's, it's more effective at this stage of your growth to do cross promos than to sell ads. You know, instead of making $100 a month or $200 a month on ads, you're better off trading cross promos with other podcasts to grow your audience even further. You know, how you're, how you're doing in terms of downloads, how big the show is, all kinds of factors go into that. But yeah, it's, look, it's a challenge out there because there's so many podcasts, so many great podcasts. I mean, it's just such a fantastic industry. There's so much amazing content. So discoverability is an issue, but then finding advertising and sponsorships obviously is another I another think what's challenge. interesting, though, that we didn't really touch on about a network. So if you came to a network like Evergreen or, or, or Ars Long or any of these other mid-sized networks, um, you know, you may already have the content in a number of places. You may already have it on YouTube and on your website. But then when you partner with another network, oh, it's also on their website. And it's also on their YouTube, single stream. It's coming from a single point. So we still get all the analytics and audience information from that single point. But now there's other places for people to discover your show. So it's a win for both groups. That's where the network, that's, the, that's part of the power. That's part of the power. And then, you know, we have a sales team that's out there doing that for our shows. So yeah, that, I think that's you know, which at least helps. I think for an independent group, it's very difficult sometimes. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. But maybe that's not, trans, is that not translating to downloads and subscribes? Gotcha. Mm. Okay, we can chat more later. Great. Great problem. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, you. Yeah. Uh, what other ways does your network or do other networks uh, increase sort of discoverability or distribution? No, that's a great question. And, there's, and, and we're always it's experimenting, right? That's one of the big challenges, right? So one of, the, one of the things is, are we advertising the network itself or individual shows? And most of our advertising is going to be for individual shows within the network. We're doing other things branding-wise and being out there in the industry. You know, our website is very SEO optimized, so we get a lot of visits to the website, so that all works. Um, we're expanding into video, so building out YouTube, which is a great discoverability tool, especially clips of shows, <clears throat> right? Because YouTube is this fantastic search engine, so how someone might find a podcast versus a video clip on YouTube are two totally different things. From one podcast episode, you might get three clips that are very well optimized in terms of the title that you can put on there and having them find them. And then as we're growing, we have more marketing budget and that's where we're trying to learn, right, and experiment on the different places where we can spend money to then drive more growth as well. Now, the one thing that works really well and all the big podcasters will tell you is it's back to the trading traffic, but now buying traffic on individual shows, right? Because you wanna, you know, we heard this from Wondery when we first started, try to market to other podcast listeners. That's really important. Um, so when you're buying directly on, an, on a podcast, that's oftentimes going to be a very good use of your marketing dollars. There are other tools out there um, <laughs> 
Where it's a lab. You have to have a lab mindset. Yeah. You, so try, you try it, you measure it, and, and then you walk away. We've, you know, yeah. we, we've gone through a lot of different trials, and we have a, a nice little toolkit that's starting to say, hey, you need 40,000 real certified IAB listens. This is what, what we're going to spend over the next three months to get you there. We've done some work with Salem, but it was early. We've run through it a couple times, and then, as you know, they started their own network. Um, I'm not sure we were the best you know, partner for them. Um, yeah, but we've done less in yeah. that area. Yeah. yeah. Certainly interested in, in doing more. You, know? you had a question. Hey. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, analytics and what you're learning in terms of what advertisers are looking for, what you use, what you see, that you feel like you need, either for your own uh, work or other uh, resources out there? I'll talk a little. Yeah. We're, we're getting like into, we just decided that, that Chartable is rock solid, so we're using Chartable Pro to to and we and we use heavily our platforms analytics so we're on megaphone at once upon a time we looked at all the top five or six platforms whittled it down and you know it was megaphone simple cast a couple others and we chose megaphone because they had a wonderful marketplace so for a, a podcast like yours with such a back catalog a platform like megaphone allows you to light up all of that back inventory it's just dark inventory and you're kind of leaving money on the table and, and it'll do dynamic insertion and stuff. Um, we, what other place do we look for analytics? I mean, I mean we look at the, the core, we look at Spotify and Apple. Yeah. Apple's still our biggest. Chartable's every, a big one, but it really comes back to the advertiser and sometimes how they want to measure success oh, for the yeah. campaign. So different advertisers are looking for different things from a measurement point of view. So it really depends on the potential deal but yeah, and some of the analytics packages are more expensive than others, so it's really a matter of finding what fits in the budget for your network and your shows. But yeah, that, that's a bigger and bigger issue. Um, yeah, I, and I would also say, it's, a, it's still a little wild west on data, and people are rushing in to give us all better tools for that. But you know, some of the tools that are being made right now are jumping right to the bigs. So we're a group like ours, we're not going to spend $30,000 a month on your data uh, reports. You know, like it's, there's probably an opportunity to create a better, uh, you know, something that would aggregate our data because it is coming from so many different sources. That's one of the bigger challenges, I think, for the accounts team is they're, they're responsible for reporting all that and it's just like they're pulling it from messy spreadsheet over here and something elegant over here, or I'm getting analytics from our paid that comes in and I have to do screen grabs and send those to my partner. It's a mess right now. And the, the, flip, the flip side to that is you have these advertisers who have these expectations of being able to track certain things based on their, the history of the web and things like Facebook where they can track almost everything. When yeah. you get into audio, the ability to track those conversions and, and where the listener goes is much more difficult. So there, that's one of the challenges. And then on the flip side, though, e almost every study out there is going to tell you that advertising on podcasts, particularly when it's a host-read ad, is so much more effective than these other types of advertising. It blows the other ones away. So I think a lot of the smart brands are realizing that, hey, 
Um, yeah, we're not going to get the tidy reports at giving us every last bit of detail, but we know this works. And so it, I think the good thing is, is that most brands see this as just a huge opportunity. Podcasting is such an advertising-friendly space. You have loyal listeners who trust their hosts, and their, their attention span is, is zeroed in on the episode. So it's, it's, I think the potential is huge, but the, you're bringing up a, a real challenge with the analytics. We're going to be here all day. We'd love to get into the week. Yeah, if anyone wants to chat about any of these issues, we'll be around. So much more we could talk about. But thanks for having us. That podcast was a podcast radio original. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.